Today's scripture uh, it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, verses, chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. Listen now for the word of God. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Test, test, uh, there it is. Uh, I had it on uh, mute. Um, let me just whisper this small word of prayer as we begin. Gracious God, our creator, it is into your presence that we find life. It is into your presence that we find your spirit that makes life worth living. We pray that you would be with us at this hour as we turned our minds and our spirits over to you. And may your word, your call to discipleship, may your spirit exist in us like fire in our bones. A fire that becomes so powerful that we cannot hold it in. We pray now that you would be with us. Amen. In the ways that I was taught uh, growing up as a teenager, that uh, when I, my elders would say that if you're ever going to be a preacher or a pastor, you get up there, you start out with one of our songs, you sing our ways, uh, you sing about the, these types of things. You know, a lot of these songs talk about our elders and, and others that have, have gone on to be with, uh, with, be with God. And even this song here that I shared, it talks about keep on enduring, that, uh, that they have gone on. Those people that, in our language, Mikosabogi, uh, that means the praying people, is the word that we commonly share for Christians, that they have gone on to be w- with God. And, but we here, in this walk of life, must continue on um, living 
with those, um, how shall we say, those, uh, those things that they held important, the things that brought us together, the things that uh, make life worth living, shall we say, and remember what God expects of us. And so I shared that with you this morning. As I was sitting there thinking about this uh, scripture, you know, I, I always go to the uh, readings that's a part of the liturgical calendar and, and, and things, uh, and, and I sat here, and, and this is one that I am particularly, um, I, I, I don't want to say fond of, um, but I am, but it's one that, and, and what I was telling the earlier service, it is one that is what the terminology that we use is, it's haunting. It haunts me that it comes into my memory. It comes into my spirit. It comes into my, my, my cognizance at all times, sometimes in the, in the middle of the night, because it, it's one that is so powerful. You know, need, need I say more about a scripture that earlier in the, the readings, it talks about taking up thy cross, taking up your cross. If you want to be a part of this, this Jesus movement there, you know, in the, in the ancient world, definitely it had uh, connotations of, that it was going to be a hard walk, that it was going to be a little bit of suffering, that you were going to have to sacrifice. And an easy way to put it is it's going to be inconvenient for your well-being. Um, and even as I began to, to study, uh, you know, looking at some of the, the commentaries out there, the, some of the writings that surrounded this, it even haunted me a little bit more. Uh, one of the uh, scholars that wrote about this, this, this reading about, you know, when it says, for what will it profit them to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit their life? As the, this scholar was writing, they penned these words here, and it said, Fidelity to Jesus brings persecution because the disciples live in an age that is contrary to God. And as I was sitting there reading that, uh, I was sitting there thinking that, you know, this, this commentary was kind of talking in the past tense, saying that back then when Jesus walked on this earth, those that followed him, the things that were going on around him in the empire, all the things that were going on in the world was opposite of God. And I began to think there and said, well, you know what? It wasn't just then. But that when we pick up the news, when we turn on the TV, when we look at the newspapers, when we, when we think about our children going to school, when we do all of these things, how many times do we see something and encounter something that is contrary to God? How many times have we bore witness to something that is opposite to the life-giving power of this Jesus movement, the life-giving power of what we as ones that are, we call ourselves disciples are supposed to embody? Time and time again. In fact, too many times we cannot even begin to count. We have almost forgotten the power of this movement. We've almost let it become a little bit too convenient in the world around us. And even maybe, just maybe, Pastor Carlos, maybe we've come too close to those that have forgotten what discipleship means. In essence, to lose one's life solely for one's neighbor, solely for those that walk around us, not just those who uh, may speak our language, not just those who may dress like us, not just those that may be members of our congregation, but the world, everyone. The gospel demands that we live in peace and harmony with all those around us, serving, ensuring that life is preserved. 
Sometimes life in the United States can become a little too convenient, a little bit too easy, a little bit too, um, how shall we say, even a, a profitable, shall we say. A couple of years ago, um, my office there, I, I serve our indigenous peoples um, across the, the world, and, and from time to time I'm asked to be in what they call consultation or to go across and help to advocate for some of our people. And a, a couple of years ago, they invited me uh, over to the, the island of Mindanao in the Philippines. And what had gone on was a situation that even I wasn't uh, fully aware of until I went over there and heard from the voices of the people that in March of 2016, as there were um, the indigenous peoples of the island, which are called uh, Lumad people, which represents the 18 tribal entities that are found on this particular island, each one of them with their own particular language, uh, Manobo, uh, uh, Benal, there's all kinds of um, uh, 18 different uh, tribes, um, the Bogoli, that are, that are there. But on this, on this day, they were protesting and, and coming down on, on one of the cities where they were all gathering, trying to raise the awareness and the attention of what had been happening, that over a period of time, they were forced, uh, forcibly removed from their lands. At one time, they were farming entities they could make and survive on their own uh, crops and products. But at this particular time, they, uh, they, were, um, they were forced to live on government subsidies of rice. And the subsidies that were being handed out to each of the, the families there could only support about two or three persons, even though on average per home of the Lumad communities were 12 to 14 people. And so life was becoming, getting to the point where it was too unbearable. And so they came down into the city to protest, to show the, you know, to, to ask the government to, for, for, for more subsidies, for help, uh, for, for, to, to just live. But on this occasion, they, they came down and they were marching through the, the city there. Um, but as they did, whatever paramilitary force, whatever police force that was hired by the local government, the local mayors, they came and they opened fire on these indigenous peoples. Many of them lost their lives. Some of them were injured. Uh, some of them uh, suffered greatly during this moment. But this all took place just outside the compound of the United Methodist Church in the area. Um, and for, for those of you that I don't know if anyone knows my work, uh, the, the, the entire denomination a few years ago asked me to, uh, they kind of uh, tasked me with the job of raising the awareness of indigenous peoples to the entire uh, United Methodist denomination because over history, this Christian faith is not the, how shall we say, the, the best, uh, it doesn't have the best of relationships with native peoples and uh, indigenous peoples of the world. In fact, harm has taken place. And so my career has really com uh, composed of a lot of, uh, how shall we say, just acknowledging the harms that have taken place and critiquing the church. But on this occasion, the church actually got something right. Because at that moment when the, the police forces came down and they were opening fire upon the indigenous peoples, it was right outside the gates of the, the Methodist compound there. On this moment, the church opened its doors so that the people could find sanctuary and safety inside its walls. They could come in and be ensured that they might be able to live. And so in fact, 
so many thousands upon thousands came into the, the properties there. They were actually held there for weeks. The, the compound itself was encompassed by the military forces, the army, that were waiting for them to come out so that they could arrest or do whatever it is that they were going to do. I don't want to go into the statistics of, of these indigenous peoples that upon their return, I think it's on average that one leader of these movements for the civil rights and the human rights of the indigenous Lumad people are murdered every two and a half weeks, I believe is what the statistics say. But they were all on this compound where they, uh, they were finding sanctuary because in the Philippines, there's such a high reverence for, um, for the church, for the clergy, for all of these, that they would give them sanctuary once they came on there. But they were waiting for them to come out. And in fact, the bishop of the area, who's a, a friend of ours and who invited me to come over to investigate in a fact-finding kind of endeavor, uh, Bishop Francisco Serracio, Bishop Sierra, we call him for short, he was in charge of that. He was the one that gave the, the, the final okay to let everybody come onto the property for their safety. During those two weeks' time periods, he was approached and given letters that were sent to him from the army, from the government, from the, the, the generals there saying, what are you doing getting involved with these matters here? This isn't the place of the church. And needless to say, even Bishop Siri was somewhat in danger because of him making a decision to help his neighbors. And might I even add, even many Lumad people are what we would call card-carrying United Methodist members. They even have churches that are built out of bamboo in the mountains that are open air, maybe just as big as these few pews right here. Many of them are already members of the same denomination that you are. But the army gave the pressure to him to say, you need to stop all of this. You need to go and mind the, the, do the business of the church and do not, do not get in the way of our country developing and taking the lands and mining the lands and deforesting the lands so that we can have a sense of progress, a sense of development. Bishop Siri was sent those letters, but needless to say, it didn't stop them. In fact, a few months later, they said, Shaban, will you come down and meet with our churches? Because many throughout the local churches of the, 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 the annual conference was, they were very upset. Is this even what we need to do? Because they had seen those letters, because they had felt the intimidation of these military forces. And needless to say, when you get someone like me in there, I get in there and say, absolutely. The gospel isn't uh, negotiable in terms of these, in these types of matters, in these moments. It's not saying we hope that you'll go and pick up your cross. The gospel says, take up your cross. Not, you know, if it's convenient for the life that you're living, you know, pick it up and maybe you can help somebody out. If we walk this walk, it says, do what you can. Do everything you can. And Bishop Siri opened those doors. I sat there and I, I, I saw the members and even the fear in some of the eyes of the young students and the different ones. And I said, by all means, this is what the gospel demands of us. Remembering what is expected for those that are disciples. 
In our native teachings, we have a similar thing. Uh, you know, all throughout the, the Gospels, we're reminded time and time again of what's expected of you so that we don't forget, so that when we're going through the conveniences of life, we don't forget what's, uh, what's, uh, what's demanded of us. There, there's certain sayings, there's certain liturgical things in the church that we do. You know, this time of year, we put the ashes upon our foreheads in hopes that we remind ourselves of our repentance and moving closer to God and removing those things that has come in our way of walking in the presence of our Creator. You know, every Everywhere we see those, you know, maybe for us uh, in the indigenous cultures, maybe it's a, a saying of our elder that we are reminded of. Maybe it's in the words of those songs that we sing in our tribal languages that brings us back to a moment of connecting with our creator. There are things everywhere that says, remember what this demands of you, this call and this walk of life. So too were these scriptures there for us. But even, even in native cultures, we have those sayings. That uh, uh, in, in some of our particular tribes, we are reminded in all of our actions that we are to make decisions based on the impact that it will have on our children seven generations from now. Not just our own children, not just our own flesh and bloods, our, uh, our, our grandchildren, but all children seven generations forward. So that the decisions that we make, how will it impact them? And even what type of a world will we hand off to those that are coming after us? <clears throat> In our particular culture, I'm a member of the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, affiliated where we are also, uh, our, our roots go to uh, the Muscogee people who originally come from, our tribal towns come from the southern portions of Georgia. My, my children, uh, my two daughters are here with me, and uh, my wife, her people are the, the same uh, tribal entities, but they also have a lineage that goes back to the uh, Anishinaabe people from the Lakota Ray Reservation in, in Wisconsin, that they have all of this background. But in our way of life, we have the same teaching and understanding that says that, you know, we, from time to time, we go through our ceremonies during the, the summer months. We take our medicines. We go and we fast. We go and do these things. We remove ourselves from all the conveniences of this modern world around us. We separate ourselves doing some of the things, speaking the languages, doing the practices that we've done since before the first contact with European peoples ever took place, uh, doing those things. And, you know, it makes us feel good. It gives us the, the, the energy, the spirit the, to, to go and to try to overcome all the obstacles that life throws at us. But when we, when we do that, you know, you know we, we, we really feel good. But in the speeches that our elders would give us, it says, you know, we think we're there for ourselves. But they said, you're doing these things so that you will have something to pass on to those that have yet to be born. That while you might think you're doing something for yourself, it's not really about you. It's about those that haven't even taken their first breath in this walk of life. And so, too, this scripture reminds us of the same thing. Is in the world that we live today, what is it that we are going to hand off to those that have yet to come? Those seven generations forward that have not even made footprints upon this earth. There was a day and time when we could just go to the creek or to the river around us and take the water and drink it. Now, in this day and age, we have to be cautious even after one of our particular ceremonies that we do in, in the summer months, ten, what we tend to do is that after we've done, after a long day of not touching water, of, of fasting from ourselves, uh, perhaps it's five or six o'clock in the evening, we would go to a, a local creek and we would go and wash ourselves and go to water is what it was called. We would go and do that. But here in recent years, as even we go to this water, we can see some types of, of oil extracts that are floating throughout this rural part of Oklahoma in the water. And so that we can't even get in it and submerge, our, submerge ourselves, so we just barely touch it. 
as a symbolic gesture of going to water. There was a day and age when we knew where our foods come from. There was a day and age when we knew that there was no harms being done to the world around us that we are reliant upon. But today, we must remind ourselves, what kind of a world will we give to our children seven generations forward? As the scripture says, what will it profit us if we gain everything there is, every modern convenience, everything around us, but yet lose our lives, lose everything that we hold dear to us? What will profit us? Sometimes we get into this mode of being a part of this, uh, this country here and we forget that in the grand scheme of everything around us, the United States is still in its infancy. The United States is still in what my elders would say in diapers, is that this country is only on its way to being 241 years old when many of our indigenous cultures have been practicing and speaking their languages for over 1,400 years. I was in Tyndall Air Force Base near Panama City just a few weeks ago where they were examining uh, village sites and archaeological sites, hoping that the military wouldn't uproot any of our ancestors in some of the burial mounds there. And they were taking some test drilling. And the archaeologist came over to me and said, Siobhan, this one, this one village site here has been in existence from the year 1000 to the year 1580. And I said, stop, 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 stop. I want everybody to stop right there. That's 580 years old, one village site, not the presence of indigenous peoples. We in this country must remember the words of this text, of this scripture, when it says, remember, what is it to profit us if we gain everything, if we control the entire world, if we have the mightiest military, if we, we do everything, but we've lost our entire soul as a people? We must remember the gospel, we must remember that this walk of life, this spiritual journey, demands that we lose our own life so that we might find it, and that we might find it in serving our neighbor, no matter where they come from, no matter what walk of life they come from, so that we might give just as God gave for us. Amen.